This program is intended for print-impaired audience and is brought to you by Audio Journal. Good afternoon. It's Tuesday, March 12th, 2024, and for the next hour, we will be bringing you news from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Our thanks to the Memorial Foundation for the Blind and the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind for their ongoing support. This is Gloria reading with my colleague, Simon, live from the Patricia A. Fletcher studio at Audio Journal in Worcester, Massachusetts. We begin today's broadcast with the obituaries. First, Edwin R. Cauldron, Jr. of Worcester, who is 45, passed Wednesday, March 6th of this year. Friends and relatives are invited to visit with the family during calling hours Wednesday, March 13th from 4 to 7 in the Rock Salvation Pentecostal Church on Main Street in Worcester. Funeral services will be held Thursday at 10 a.m. in the church. His burial will be in Hope Cemetery, and flowers may be sent or contributions made to assist the family with arrangements. The Mercandante Funeral Home and Chapel is handling arrangements. Next, we have Roberta L. Pilner of New York City, who was 87, and she passed at the Isabella Geriatric Center. Contributions in her name and in her memory may be made to Temple Bethel on Orchard Ave in Providence, Rhode Island, um, and there'll be a graveside service at the Congregation Sons of Israel and David at 401 Reservoir Avenue in Providence at 11 a.m. on March 13th. Irene P. Penatek of Gardner, who was 94, died unexpectedly Thursday, March 7th. For her complete obituary and funeral service details, please visit bosherfuneralhome.com. Edward Mingalola of West Boylston passed away peacefully at the Oakdale Rehabilitation and Skilled Nursing Center in West Boylston. At his request, a private graveside service will be held at Mount Vernon Cemetery. In lieu of flowers, memorial donations may be made to the donor's choice. The Athley Memorial Home on Lancaster Street in Worcester is handling the arrangements. A few obituaries that we don't have much information on, William F. Jones, Jr., who was 72, from Webster, Massachusetts, died March 4th, and the Sitkowski, Malwolf, and Hickey Funeral Home is handling the arrangements. Another obituary we don't have a lot of information about Micheline O'Connor, who was 39 of Sutton, Mass., passed March 8th, and the Roney Funeral Home is handling all of his arrangements. Stephen E. Steve Anderson, 77 of Shrewsbury, who was a lifelong Shrewsbury resident, passed away peacefully at home on Wednesday, March 6th. Calling hours will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. this Friday at the Britain Shrewsbury Funeral Home on Main Street in Shrewsbury. Mary Ellen Cox of Auburn passed Friday, March 8th um, uh, of this year 
and family and friends are invited to a visiting hour on Wednesday, March 13th from 10 to 11 at the Britton Wallace Funeral Home on Central Street in Auburn. Her funeral service will follow the calling hour and burial will take place next door at the Hillside Cemetery. To honor her legacy, the family suggests donations to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Lou of Flowers. You may also leave a note of condolence for her family at the BrittonFuneralHomes.com website. Mary Ann Potenki Bujanski, I really hope I do her name some justice, died um, at the age of 68 on Thursday, February 29th. Her calling hours will be from 9.30 to 11.30 this Friday, immediately followed by a prayer service and celebration of her life at the DeRosa Marin Funeral Home on Grafton Street here in Worcester. Richard J. Walsh, or Captain Richard J. Walsh, Walsh, retired from the U.S. Navy Reserves at 81, um, passed away suddenly and peacefully on March 3rd. Relatives and friends are invited to calling hours Monday the 18th from 9.30 to 11 at the Miles Funeral Home in Holden. He will be laid to rest with full military honors at the Worcester County Memorial Park in Paxton. In lieu of flowers, condolences may be expressed with a donation in his memory to the Animal Service Adoption Center uh, in East Brookfield, Massachusetts. Next, we have Matthew Michael DeBarra, 63, of Gardner. He passed away peacefully at Mass General Hospital Tuesday, March 5th. To honor and remember the gift of his presence, calling hours will be held on Saturday, March 16th from 9 to 11 at, with the funeral service beginning at 11 a.m. at the Mercandante Funeral Home and Chapel on Plantation Street in Worcester. Our last obituary is Waldismarero W. Orlowski. I'm really sorry. I'm not sure I pronounced his name correctly, but he died on the March 9th in St. Vincent Hospital in Worcester. His funeral services will be Thursday, March 14th from the Sitkowski, Malwolf, and Hickey Funeral Home on School Street in Webster with a mass at 11 a.m. at St. Joseph Basilica on, on Whitcomb Street in Webster. Visitation will be held from 9 to 10.30 Thursday in the funeral home prior to the Mass. That's it for our obituaries today. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll return with my colleague Simon sharing front-page news. Would you like to hear news from Holden, Paxton, Princeton, Rutland, and Sterling that you're not likely to hear on commercial television or radio? Then tune into Audio Journal every Thursday at 4 p.m. Good afternoon. This is Simon reading today's TNG. It's Tuesday, the 12th of March, and the time is 12.07. Coming up to 12.08. Top headline on the front page, as Ramadan begins, Israel warns Hamas. This is from John Bacon of USA Today. 
The holy month of Ramadan prompted fasting and worship by Muslims all around the world Monday, but it brought no end to the death and destruction wrought by the war in the Gaza Strip, despite intense effort by the U.S. and other nations to broker a ceasefire. Palestinians prayed in, in, amid rubble and fear after talks stalled over Israel's resolve to crush Hamas and the militant group's demands for a pathway to permanent peace and the withdrawal of all Israeli troops from Gaza. Israel has vowed to expand its offensive to the south, southern Gaza city of Rafah, where more than one million Palestinians have sought refuge since the war began October the 7th, with a deadly Hamas-led rampage into Israel. Hamas has called for stepped-up resistance, drawing a warning from Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. I say to everyone who is thinking of trying us this month, we are ready. Don't make any mistakes, he said. President Joe Biden issued a statement acknowledging that the sacred month has arrived at, quote, at a moment of immense pain, unquote. In the enclave, as the death troll surpasses 31,000, while almost 2 million remain displaced, he said the USA will continue leading the effort to increase humanitarian aid while working nonstop to, enter a, to broker a peace agreement. As Muslims gather around the world over the growing coming days and weeks to break their fast, the suffering of Palestinian people will be front of mind for many, Biden said. It is front of mind for me. And the photo on this page is um, pretty much of a flattened, demolished area with um, people trying to looking for their possessions. Um, I wouldn't be very annoyed if someone flattened my house in that way. Also in this article, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Monday defended his plan to expand Israel's military offense into Rafah over the objection of Biden and other world leaders, saying he doesn't want to leave a quarter of Hamas terror army in place. Netanyahu speaking on Fox News Channel Fox News Channel's Fox and Friends said Biden agrees Hamas must be destroyed. Unless Hamas is defeated completely, the militant group will just regroup, regain control of Gaza, and repeat the October 7 rampage that killed almost 1,200 people and saw about 250 hostages seized, Netanyahu said. Biden wants to ensure the safe departure of more than one million Palestinians who have sought refuge in Rafah. Next top headline, gun laws draw city council's attention. This is from Marco Catalano of the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and USA Today Network. Worcester, after a three-week hiatus, the city council is returning Tuesday with a packed agenda set to feature reports from city departments and councillors' orders. City Council is set to consider several requests related to street safety and design, supporting tenants following a disaster and a resolution that touches on gun possession in the wake of the March 5 fatal shooting of a mother and daughter. March 5 police, March 5, police say 
Chasity Nunes and her 11-year-old daughter were fatally shot in a vehicle after two people walked up to them and started shooting. Police made at least 10 markings on the ground at the scene of the shooting. In the wake of the shooting, Councillor-at-Large Kathleen Toomey uh, submitted a non-binding resolution requesting that the City Council and City quote, call upon the State Legislature to fully enforce and enact any additional required legislation to ensure full sentencing be mandatory for illegal possession of firearms, end quote. In March 7 posts on X, formerly known as Twitter, Toomey claimed that the existing gun laws are not enforced to the fullest extent in courts. Two requests reference the controversial resign, redesign of Mill Street have, have been submitted. The redesign created parking protected bike lanes on both sides of the, the 2.5-mile street. The design con- reconfigured one of the more two driving lanes for each side of the 1.8-mile four-lane portion of the street into a bike lane with painted parking lanes buffering it from the remaining vehicle traffic lane. The redesign has been hotly contested on social media and in public forums with supporters saying the design makes the street safer for cyclists and calms the speeds of a street infamous for speeding. Critics have said the designs are confusing for drivers and vehicles parked on the street are at risk for collision. Photo and video has circulated on social media of a crash reportedly occurring on Mill Street between a parked car and a moving vehicle. Councillor-at-Large Morris Bergman is requesting City Manager Eric Di Battista ask, ask Steve Roll, Commissioner of Transportation and Mobility, to consider focusing on eliminating elimination of travel lanes on park streets by the creation of on-street parking spaces until safety and best practices are fully evaluated. Councillor-at-Large Donna Colorio is asking for a report on the Department of, from the Department of Transportation and Mobility on the number of accidents that have occurred on Mill Street since the reconfiguration and an analysis of the reconfiguration's impact on street safety. At the same time, District 4 City Councillor Louis Ojedo, Ojedo has two orders seeking for a review of potential improvements that can be made to enhance walkability and beautify the walking bridge on Cambridge Street and for a traffic review of Cambridge Street's intersection with Richard Street and with Fremont and Canterbury Streets in order to enhance traffic flow. Next front page headline, LBTQ plus summer camp back for Encore. This is from Tatum Gooting, a Worcester Telegram and Gazette and USA Today Network. After a 10-year break, a week-long summer camp for LGBTQ youth and, youth and youth from LGBTQ families is back in central Massachusetts. Jimmy Howe, a long-time educator, social justice leader and queer mother, started Camp Out after she realized not many programs catered to kids who came from LGBTQ families. In 2000, it seemed like a lot of kids from gay and lesbian families were isolated in their schools, Emmy said. Or kids, even from 
other school systems may be the only kid from an LGBTQ family in their school. Pooja, Emmy's trans son, and his older sisters went to Camp O-U-T, Camp Out, for years. Now as an adult, Pooja wants to bring it back. Pooja leads after school and summer programming for trans and non-binary youth in Cambridge. Next front page headline, actually it was right at the top, one of two suspects in killing due in court. This is from Mike Effland of the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and USA Today Network. Worcester, with the search for accused gunman Dejan Bell-Navis continuing Monday, his second defendant is a second defendant is slated to return to Central District Court Tuesday. Bell Navis and Carol Mengual allegedly gunned down the mother and daughter on Englewood Avenue March the 5th. The daylight shooting stunned the city and is followed by an outpouring of support for the victims, Chastity Nunes, 27, and Zella Nunes, 11, a sixth grader in Worcester schools. Mangual, in custody since the day after the shooting, is due in court for a dangerousness hearing. Such proceedings focus on whether a defendant should be held for 120 days. Bell Navis has eluded capture in the week since the shooting as of Monday afternoon. Authorities, have, authorities said surveillance footage indicated he was in Hartford hours after the killings. Law enforcement, law enforcement has widely distributed his photograph and shared it on social media. State police o over the weekend released a poster with Banal Navis' image and a reward offering of up to $5,000. Authorities have also released a second booking photo of Bell Navis from an earlier case. And that's the end of the front page news. We'll take a short break and then go on to local news. What's your vision? People with disabilities adapt on a daily basis. They're people you want on your team. And we're here to help you find blind and visually impaired professionals to help you reach your organizational goals. Building an inclusive workforce where individuals with disabilities are welcome is possible thanks to Mass Commission for the Blind. Partner with them to hire individuals who are blind or visually impaired and reach your workforce goals. The success of your organization depends on the diversity of your team. Call 1-800-392-6450 or visit mass.gov slash mcb to learn how you can become an employer partner for the blindness community. That's 1-800-392-6450 or mass.gov forward slash mcb. What's your vision? Local news today, local news above the fold. Hopedale Youth 8 dies in Maine wreck. An 8-year-old boy from Hopedale died after a high-speed crash in Rumford, Maine. Three others were injured in the two-car crash, which occurred around 3 p.m. on Saturday. Rumford police said alcohol is a possible factor in the car crash, and beyond referencing speed and alcohol as part of the investigation, Rumford police are not releasing specifics about the crash. 
Next, Community Health Link Program to reopen. Transitional Support Services will be returning April 1st. This is a Henry, Squ- Henry Swan USA Today story out of Worcester. One of three programs suspended last year at Community Health Link after surprise state inspection will reopen next month. Fair Transitional Support Services is scheduled to open April 1st, said Stephanie Manzi, Vice President of Substance Use Disorder Services at Community Health Link. The nonprofit is affiliated with UMass Memorial Health and provides services in mental health, substance use, and homelessness. The reopening comes as Worcester faces a rising number of opiate-related overdose deaths, a homeless population that needs services, and a shortage of shelter beds. Manzi said having transitional support services back online next month should help alleviate overcrowding at local facilities. Some patients are ready to move to a lower level of assistance, but there isn't space for them. As a result, the Beds of Community Health Link Transitional Services Program could reduce the crunch and free up acute beds at other places. We're hearing from the community that those people in acute facilities are overstaying because there isn't the next transition step. The reopening of transition support services should open more acute beds at other facilities, Manzi said. Two suspended programs yet to open. Two of the suspended programs won't reopen next month. One is clinical support services, formerly called passages, that provide short-term intensive treatment for up to 30 days for individuals in the early stages of substance abuse recovery. Detox is another program that temporarily closed and hasn't reopened. No firm date is set for these two programs to return. Hiring and space Space upgrades for those programs continue with the goal to stagger their opening one month apart with clinical support services first, then detox. That's it for the local news today. There really wasn't much. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. We're approaching the 1230 hour, half hour actually, and when we return, we're going to have Simon um, no, when we return, there's a little bit of business news that we're going to share. The Worcester Regional Transit Authority, also known as the WRTA, is a regional transit system that services the city of Worcester and the surrounding 36 communities in the central Massachusetts area with a bus fleet that includes all-electric buses, as well as many diesel-electric hybrid buses. The second-largest regional transit authority in Massachusetts, the WRTA offers reliable, comfortable, and safe transportation for traveling to work, shopping, school, medical appointments, and leisure activities. The WRTA also provides paratransit service for the elderly and disabled, as well as a variety of special services for those groups in the entire service area. For more information, visit the website at www.therta.com or call 508-791-9782. In business news, self-checkouts limited at some Walmart stores. This is a Mike Schneider USA Today story. Are the days numbered for self-checkout lanes at your favorite retailer? 
the latest sign that could be the case, because some Walmart stores are limiting the use of self-checkout lanes, reserving some of the Walmart Plus members and drivers for the Spark Delivery Service, according to a report from news site Business Insider. Spark drivers reported how self-checkout lines available exclusively for them and Walmart Plus members were showing up at the store they work out of in recent days. At the same time, posts on social media also note how self-checkout is being limited at some Walmart stores. Self-Walmart shifts at Target, Walmart, and Costco. These reports come as other retailers in recent months shifted their self-checkout strategies. Target told USA Today in October it had begun experimenting with self-checkout lanes limited to 10 items or fewer at select locations in order to reduce wait times and better understand guest preferences, according to spokesman Brian Harper. About the same time, Walmart removed self-checkout at select stores, and some stores began posting clerks at self-checkout lanes to watch for possible checkout errors. In the 2022 report, Global Study on Self-Checkout, two-thirds, 66%, of the 93 retailers in the survey, with 29 from North America, said they thought self-checkout losses were becoming more of a problem in their businesses. There's no doubt retailers have invested heavily in self-checkouts, are now having to develop a range of ways in which to keep the associated losses under control. So is Walmart getting rid of self-checkouts? Not necessarily. Walmart has not issued a directive across its company about self-checkout, but let store managers experiment with what works at their location. Among other recent developments, he cited, Schutz has limited self-discount to 10 items or less, and Dollar General planned to cut back on self-checkouts in 2024. Why? Shrink inventory has been a, a nasty pest over the past year, and it appears that some of that theft is happening when shoppers, quote, forget, unquote, to scan items. Late last year, Kruger, I'm sorry, late last year, Kroger began letting learning on AI to ensure that items in the next cart um, make it through the scanner and into the bag. So more than four out of ten consumers, about 43%, preferred self-checkout when buying groceries, according to a survey of 1,133 U.S. consumers by NCR Voix, which was released in January. Now on to my favorite story of the day. New Lego set celebrates 85 years of Batman. Gotham Skyline revealed in 4,200-piece recreation. I'm sorry, recreation, not recreation. Fans of Lego and Batman, the animated series, will have a chance to own a piece of history as Warner Brothers, Discovery, and DC celebrate 85 years of the capped crusader with a new brick set. Lego Group on Thursday unveiled the Batman Gotham City Skyline set, an amazing recreation of Gotham City as it appears in Batman, the animated series. 
This atmospheric set, a 3D recreation of the Gothic city skyline in Lego bricks, releases as Warner Brothers Discovery celebrates 85 years of Batman throughout 2024, the Lego said, Lego said in a news conference, news release. The first Batman story, The Case of the Chemical Syndicate, was published March 30, 1939, after being written by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, according to DC Comics. A Batman fan's dream, as every tower and building meticulously recreates iconic locations from Warner Brothers. Easter eggs and characters like Batman, Catwoman, the Joker, and Harley Quinn are included in the set. Parts of the set can also be opened to reveal more intricacies inside. The $299.99 set is for people 18 and older, Lego said. It will be available April 1st on Lego's website. That's it for our short business news. A reminder that you're listening to Audio Journal, and this is our Tuesday presentation of the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. We're approaching 1230. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Simon will share some, some national news. Would you like to hear news from Bolton, Harvard, Hudson, and Marlboro that you're not likely to hear on commercial television or radio? Then tune into Audio Journal every Thursday at 3 p.m. Good afternoon again. It's uh, Simon with National News. I bet those Legos still hurt if you step on them in bare feet. Probably. First top, top headline on the national world, Trump-Biden close to clinching races. This is from Stephen Peoples of the Associated Press. New York, President Joe Biden and his likely Republican challenger, Donald Trump, are on track to win enough delegates this week to become their party's presumptive nominees ushering in a bruising eight-month campaign for the White House. Elections in four states on Tuesday will likely give Biden and Trump the delegates they need to clinch the nominations. Their trajectories are hardly in doubt after dominant performances in last week's Super Tuesday contests forced the last major primary challenges out of the race. But for the many voters who aren't attuned to the daily twists and turns of the nation's turbulent politics, this week should be a crystallizing moment, reinforcing that another Biden-Trump campaign is virtually guaranteed, whether Americans want it or not. And that rematch, the first in a U.S. presidential election since 1956, is poised to deepen searing political and cultural divides. With both candidates poised to cinch, clinch their nominations, we are about to move formally from the primary to the general election phase of the 2024 election. But it's fair to say we don't know exactly what that will look like. Typically, at this moment, candidates will shift their message to speak to a broad and sw- broader swath of voters, especially moderates and independents who play a more influential role in general elections compared to the hardcore phase voters who decide primaries. But if this weekend was any indication, Trump is showing little interest or ability to embrace a more moderate tone. 
He's still falsely insisting that the 2020 election was stolen and praising those who stormed the Capitol. We'll be paying close attention to the tone of his response and his social media posts after he clinches the nomination. On the Democratic side, we're about to learn whether Biden's coalition changes its view as the reality sets in that this election is now a binary choice between Biden and Trump. Biden's campaign is betting big. That's the case. Next uh, national, international headline, Mobile Clinic aims to cut infant maternal deaths. This is from Ray Covarrubias, Jr. of the Arizona Republic and USA Today Network. A mobile, clinic care, a mobile health care clinic that will serve people during their pregnancy and after the birth of their children launched in Metro Phoenix on March 6th. The Mum and Baby Mobile Health Center is the second clinic of its kind to serve Arizona newborns and their families. The clinic aims to address what community health care providers consider a lack of resources for mothers and babies, citing Arizona's rise in infant and maternal deaths. Too many mothers lack access to their needed prenatal pregnancy and postnatal care. We see this across Arizona, especially in rural and minority communities, said Jenny Kunuko, Arizona Department of Health Services Director. Kunuko said Arizona ranks 26th in the U.S. for infant mortality, representing an 11% increase, the state's largest for a decade. In a March of Dimes 2022 report card gave Phoenix a C-, indicating that mums and babies were at heightened risk in the city. The mobile clinic is staffed by both Wesley Community and Health Centers and future medical professionals provided through the partnership with Arizona State University Edson College of Nursing and Innovation. That's the end of the front page news. We'll move, we'll take a brief break and then Gloria will move on to, I think actually I'm, no, Gloria will give you some more nation Would world. you like to hear news from Shrewsbury, Northboro, Southboro, and Westboro that you're not likely to hear on commercial television or radio? Then tune into Audio Journal every Tuesday at 4 p.m. We have a few stories left of the nation and world news. FEMA to begin charging rent on trailers in Florida. This is a story out of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Survivors of Hurricane Ian, who are about to be charged rent on the FEMA trailers they still occupy, can apply for an exemption if they're in financial straits, the United Way of Southern Sarasota County has announced. Last month, FEMA declared that it was extending its direct temporary housing program by six months, from March 29 through September 29, for eligible families displaced by Ian in seven Florida counties. However, after March 29, those remaining in FEMA trailers or other temporary housing units will have to start paying rent on them. The amounts will depend on the unit sizes and locations, but won't go above what the U.S. HUD calculates as as the area's fair market rate. 
But agencies that work closely with Ian survivors say the new rent changes could weigh heavily on families who are continuing to pull themselves out of a crisis a year and a half after the hurricane's landfall. The question is, when you have people still paying a mortgage on a home they can't live in, how are they going to pay the rent? Asked Charles Johnson, Vice President of Community Impact for the United Way of South Sarasota County. Our last nation and world story today, Sweden's flag joins ranks at NATO headquarters. This is also an Associated Press article out of Brussels. Sweden's flag was raised at NATO headquarters on Monday, cementing the Nordic country's place as the 32nd member two years after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine persuaded its reluctant public to seek safety under the alliance's security umbrella. Under a steady reign, Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Christensen crowned Princess Victoria and NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg looked on as two soldiers raised the blue banner emblazoned with a yellow cross among the official circle of national flags at the alliance's headquarters in Brussels. The Russian brutal full-scale invasion against Ukraine united Sweden behind the conclusion that a full-fledged NATO membership is the only reasonable choice. Sweden set aside decades of post-World War II neutrality when it formally joined NATO on March 7th. The neighboring nation of Finland had already joined in April 2023 in another historic move, ending years of military non-alignment. We're at 12.37. We're in our final moments of the program today. And just a reminder, this is Audio Journal. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of the Worcestergram, Worcester Telegram and Gazette. When we return, we're going to share sports news with Simon. Are you or a loved one experiencing vision loss, unable to read your daily newspapers? Feeling isolated because of blindness? If the answer is yes, Audio Journal can help. Live broadcasts of newspapers and other local publications enable blind, visually impaired, and print-disabled residents of Worcester County to connect with their communities. Newspaper readings, informative programming, education, and entertainment return you to the printed word your vision loss has denied you. For information about Audio Journal's free service, call 508-797-1117. Again, the number is 508-797-1117. Or email info at audiojournal.org. Or go to our website at www.audiojournal.org. Audio Journal is a proud member of the Massachusetts Audio Information Network. Good afternoon. Simon here with a few headlines from the sports page. It's 12.29. And top headline is Source. Pats to trade Jones to Jaguars for sixth round draft pick. This is from Mark Long of the Associated Press. A person familiar with negotiations says the Jacksonville Jaguars have agreed to acquire the New England Patriots quarterback Mac Jones for a sixth-round pick in next month's NFL draft. 
The person spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity, anonymity Sunday because the trade cannot become official until the new league begins Wednesday and after Jones passes a physical. The move brings Jones home. He was born and raised in Jacksonville and provides competition behind starting Trevor, starter Trevor Lawrence. Jones will vie with the 30-year-old C.J. Bithart, Bithart for the team's backup spot. In, there's, a, uh, there's a few in briefs in the sports page. I'll um, go through some of them. College basketball. Brother of LSU guard arrested after SEC tournament fight. The brother of LSC, LSU guard Fojay Johnson was arrested and charged with assault and battery and disorderly conduct by the Greenville, South Carolina Police Department for his role in his, after his sister was shoved to the court by South Carolina forward Camila Cardoso during a Southeastern Conference tournament game. <coughs> Tehran Milton, 24, jumped over the scorer's table to reach the court. Police say Milton made his way down, he's made his way to the court by pushing down an SEC employee and stepping on her shoulders to get past. Milton briefly made contact with Cardoso before he was led away by police. Police said two people Two other people jumped from the stands but were stopped by authorities before making it to the court. Cardoso, Cardoso was ejected for fighting and three of her teammates were thrown out for leaving the bench area. Two LSU players were logged minutes in the game also sent, were also sent off. South Carolina finished the game with six players and LSU five. Next brief. Coastal California Coastal, Coastal Carolina hires Western Carolina's coach. Coastal Carolina has hired former Western Carolina coach Justin Gray as its men's basketball coach. The school announced Gray's hiring on Monday. Gray will join the Chanticleers after three seasons with the Catamounts. Gray takes over the full-time job after Cliff Ellis, who took f four schools, including the Chanteliers, to the NCAA tournament in 49 seasons, stepped down in December. Benny Moss had been the program's interim coach since then. In football, former Bills center Moss agrees to deal with Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars and free agent center Mitch Morse have agreed to a two-year, $10.5 million contract that includes $7 million guaranteed, a person familiar with the negotiations told the Associated Press. The person spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity Monday. Next uh, headline in sports, a, every MLB park ranked from 1 to 30. So this is a ramping, uh, ranking of the major league Basketball parks, uh, from 1 to 30. I won't read the whole lot. I'll just read a few um, that might uh, be of interest. Number five is Fenway Park, Boston Red Sox. Number 20 is Yankee Stadium, New York Yankees. And the others uh, are of interest too, but maybe 
another time. So just uh, the intro was a crack of a pat, peanuts, crackerjack, things of that nature. There's nothing like a trip to the ballpark to take in a major league baseball game. Whether you're a scorekeeping fanatic, casual fan, or a kid just there for the ice cream helmet cups. MLB's stadiums each have their own unique history with ballparks ranging in age from over 100 years, Fenway Park and Wrigley Field, to Texas Retractable Roof Stadium that just opened in 2020. With the goal of creating the ultimate Major League Baseball Stadium rankings, eight baseball reporters and editors from around the USA Today network ranked the Major League Baseball's current stadiums 1-30, to adding up the aggregate scores to determine the order. The stadium reviews by Joe Mock, operator of the baseball parks since 1997. So we'll stop sports there and um, move on to Gloria with Living and Entertainment. Would you like to hear news from Barry and Spencer that you're not likely to hear on commercial television or radio? Then tune in to Audio Journal every Monday at 6 p.m. In Living and Entertainment... The Oscars just happened the other night, and the first Oscar hailed as Russia attacks. Twenty days of Marpool told of siege early in war. This is an Associated Press article out of Kiev, Kiev uh, in the Ukraine. Ukraine awoke Monday to another day of war. Russian drones blasted buildings in the Kharkov and Odessa regions, but also the news it had won its first Oscar. The best documentary victory for Mistala Chernov's 20 Days in Maripol, a harrowing first-person account by the Associated Press journalists of the early days of Russia's invasion in 2022, was bittersweet. This is the first Oscar in Ukrainian history, and I'm honored, the emotional Chernov said Sunday. Probably, I will be the first director on this stage to say I wish I never made this film. I wish to be able to exchange this to Russia never attacking Ukraine. Back home in his native Ukraine, the award was applauded for exposing the brutal devastation of the war and the message Chernov had sent to the world from one of the biggest stages. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky hailed the award as important for our entire country and said he was grateful to the team and thanked journalists across the world still covering the war despite the decrease of attention as it has dragged into its third year and as much of the world's focus has turned to Israel's war against Hamas. Our next article in Living Today, Teen Uses Music to Thrive Despite Cancer record songs, videos between his treatments. This is a Scott Fallon, NorthJersey.com article. When Marco Dubre arrived home after six days of chemotherapy treatment at Marstown Medical Center, he quickly began making plans to shoot his next music video despite lingering fatigue and nausea. The 17-year-old high school senior has a short window of time between treatments. He wants to get some filming in before his fourth round of chemo later this month as he battles anaplastic large cell lymphoma, 
a rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Not too many high schoolers have to face such challenges. Then again, not many high schoolers record their own songs, publish their own music videos, and have ambitions as big as Marco's. I've just always had a lot of energy to do things, he said. Even with cancer, I'm still going to do the things I've always loved. Cancer is uncommon among teenagers, but when it does develop, it often comes at a crucial time in a young person's life, putting a pause on everything from sports, hobbies, and school work to plan for the future. Marco determined early on not to let that happen. He came down with cold-like symptoms in October that wouldn't go away for weeks. He soon developed a lump on his neck the size of a golf ball. A biopsy revealed lymphoma. At first, it was shocking, he said. Everybody just cried when we got the news. Then we were like, what do we have to go to get, what do we have to do to go to get me better? With more songs to write and produce in his future, Marco looks forward to being out of the hospital. He has three more rounds of chemotherapy left over the next three months, which will keep him in the hospital for about a week each time. After that, hopefully, it'll be normal, I'll be normal, and ready to get back to normal life, he said. Our last story in living is there's plenty to know about butterflies. Thursday, March 14th, is National Learn About Butterflies Day. So let's see what you already know. Did you know there are over 20,000 species of butterflies? Did you know that some butterflies live for, mo for only one or two weeks, while the monarch that emerges in early fall may live up to eight months as it migrates 3,000 miles to Mexico? Did you know that the butterfly has three principal parts, head, thorax, and abdomen? All six legs and four wings are attached to the thorax. Did you know that butterflies have no heart and no brain? But they certainly do not lack courage. Did you know that as global temperatures rise every even a few degrees, Flowers dry up sooner, and nectar resources become more scarce for butterflies? Did you know that our once ubiquitous monarch butterfly is now listed as an endangered species by the International Union for Conservation of Nature? So as you browse through garden catalogs and magazines, which beckon you to buy beautiful flowers, why not consider plants which benefit butterflies and are lovely in your garden? A butterfly garden can be as small as a container on your deck or a corner patch in your garden or sun-filled large garden dedicated just to the nymphs and satyrs, tigers and elfins of our butterfly world. Butterflies have four requirements as they grow from egg to caterpillar, as they grow from egg to caterpillar to chrysalis to finally emerging as a beautiful butterfly. That first requirement is protection from pesticides and herbicides. Think of it as nature's colorful bouquet at your, at your doorstep. That means none, not using 
uh, any of the, quote, sides you, on your lawn or in your garden. Did you know that more than 75% of Earth's flowering plants depend on pollinators? But these pollinators are in drastic decline due to pesticides, global warming, invasive species, and loss of, a bit of habitat due to expanding human populations. The second requirement is a source of water. It can be a bird bath. A source of water can be as simple as a rock with a depression in it or a shallow dish filled with water. What's important to remember is to change the water frequently, especially as the summer heats up. The third requirement is food for caterpillars. The fourth requirement is nectar for the butterflies. Monarchs enjoy the nectar from butterfly weed, swamp milkweed, lilac, red clover, fall, uh, tall verbena, garden rod, and thistle. Black swallowtails are attracted to Queen Anne's lace, parsley, dill, fennel, red clover, milkweed, and thistle. Additional plants will provide for the needs of caterpillars and butterflies, and they are um, black-eyed Susans, just to name a few, mountain laurel, dogbane, um, and um, sweet pepper bush bushes, um, and pussy willows. Times trees such as birch, ash, cottonwood, red maple, and sugar ma maple will provide structure, sap, and shelter when there are strong winds. If you are motivated to create a small butterfly garden, you will be rewarded by those who, besides butterflies, also need the life support you've provided. They are hummingbirds, moths, and bees. There are almost 4,000 species of native bees in the USA. Your human friends will enjoy your butterfly garden too. I'm, I seem to have lost the today, which we always read during the end of the end of the the series. So today because we don't have that to share, and we're winding down, it's 12.53, there's a probe of a Colorado scientist who manipulated DNA data. This is a USA Today article. A former Colorado Bureau of Investigation forensic scientist violated standard testing protocols and man manipulated DNA test results in hundreds of cases an internal affairs investigation found. The investigation revealed that Yvonne Woods manipulated data in the DNA testing process and posted incomplete test results to some cases that the CBI announced on Friday. While the Bureau did not find that she falsified the DNA matches or fabricated DNA profiles, the investigation raised questions about Woods' previous work. Investigators have identified 652 cases that were affected by her data manipulation from 2008 through 2023. Public trust in our institutions is critical to the formation. Public trust in our institutions is critical to the fulfillment of our mission, the CBI director um, stated. 
our actions in rectifying this unprecedented breach of trust will be thorough and transparent. That brings us right up to the end of today's news. We're going to take a quick break and before we wrap up. Did you know that there are many different ways to listen to Audio Journal? You can go to our website, audiojournal.org, and stream us live. Or you can install the Audio Journal app on your iPhone or iPad. Or you can tell your smart speaker to play radio station Audio Journal on TuneIn. Or you can dial us at one seven one two seven seven zero one zero four three on your telephone. Or you can turn on your local cable access TV station. You can check our website audiojournal.org for the correct channel for your town. And finally, you can use one of our special receivers tuned to Audio Journal's frequency. And if you missed your favorite program, go to our website or the Audio Journal app and listen to podcasts of previously aired programs. As we wind down today's program, this local news program is a production of Audio Journal, a proud member of the Massachusetts Audio Information Network. Programming is funded in part by the Memorial Foundation for the Blind, the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, and Unibank. Archived editions of this program are available on our website, audiojournal.org. I'm Gloria with Simon. Thank you for listening. This is Bird Note. When you go birding, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, and there are more species than you can count. Other times, not so lucky. Not a song, not a sight of a bird. Striking out when looking for birds is frustrating, but it's an essential part of the journey. A bad day of birding can teach you just as much as a good day, if you ask the right questions. Like, was there something about the time of day, the weather, or nearby human activities that affected the birds? Am I in the right habitat for the species I'm looking for? Doing some research after a slow day for birds can help reveal why you had the experience you did. Try talking with folks in your area that know about birds. They can provide some context for what you went through, and most likely, they'll commiserate with their own stories about striking out. As in other parts of life, a little failure in birding is inevitable, but it's a great teacher. For Bird Note, I'm Jonice Franklin. Support for Bird Note is provided by the Bobble Link Foundation and generous listeners around the world. People with disabilities adapt on a daily basis. They're people you want on your team. And we're here to help you find blind and visually impaired professionals to help you reach your organizational goals. Building an inclusive workforce where individuals with disabilities are welcome is possible thanks to Mass Commission for the Blind. 
Partner with them to hire individuals who are blind or visually impaired and reach your workforce goals. The success of your organization depends on the diversity of your team. Call 1-800-392-6450 or visit mass.gov forward slash MCB to learn how you can become an employer partner for the blindness community. That's 1-800-392-6450 or mass.gov forward slash MCB. You are listening to Audio Journal, a proud member of the Massachusetts Audio Information Network.